0: Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? So, I don't know about you, but I love church. I don't know about you, but we ain't dead, so we definitely got a reason to shout. Amen? We always have a reason to shout when we wake up on this side of the dirt. We always got a reason to shout because um, God is good. Amen. Well, thank you all so much for being here with us this morning. I want to say thank you to Pastor John and Miss Brenda for allowing me uh, to stand in their place and to to stand in the pulpit and bring you the message this morning. Uh, I know they are out celebrating 50 years of marriage. That is awesome. Give God a hand clap, especially in the day and age we live in. Um, You know, we're, we're coming up behind that. Me and my wife, we've been married coming up on six years. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. We got, we got about forty-four more to go. But uh, no, we've been dating for like fifteen years. uh, But we didn't start dating each other until like six years ago. You you know, sometimes you date before. But we, anyways. No, but uh, we've been married this February would be six years of us being married. We're so excited. Uh, I am the youth pastor there at, at Hillside Church. Uh, the name of our group is Revive Youth, um, and so we, we've been youth pastors coming up on almost five years now, man, and uh, I've been an ordained minister for nearly eight years, almost nine years now. Uh, I started in reverse. Um, I was actually like the associate pastor, and uh, I actually preached here a whole lot in that time of my first year of being ordained, and Pastor Mark, he would he would preach here Sunday evenings. He'd preach at Hillside Church Sunday mornings. He would drive up here, preach Sunday night, and then on Wednesdays, we would actually flip-flop. Um, I would preach at Hillside Church, and then he would preach up here on a Wednesday, and then the next week, we'd flip-flop. I'd be up here that Wednesday, and uh, this place has a very special heart uh, place in my heart, um, and I'm so glad to bring the word to you this morning. How many of y'all brought your Bibles? Yes. Wave them in the air like you just do care. Amen. It's always good to sharpen your sword. Amen. It's always good for you to be sharpened. The Bible says iron will sharpen iron, so a friend will sharpen a friend. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, get ready this morning. So I'm going to be preaching out of 2 Peter. Uh, If you don't know where that is at, that's actually right after 1 Peter. Um, So... um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this morning. Y'all excited? Y'all, how many of y'all came to church ready to receive a word? How many of y'all came to church ready for a breakthrough? How many of y'all came to church expecting something? Well, I love God, and I know he's going to exceed all of our expectations. But in Second Peter, the title of my message this morning is Two Types. Everybody say two types. There's always two types of individuals. There's always two types of people. Um there's there's always the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of darkness. There's always those who read directions and those who don't read directions. Any any dads in here? All right. I love Christmas. I absolutely despise directions. I always feel like I can look at the box and I can put it together without actually looking at the directions. But I don't know, it, like, we've progressed over time, and they, they give you 300 pieces for, like, a four-piece set. It, it makes absolutely no sense. And uh, I remember this past year, me and my wife, we have a two-year-old, and, um, man, the kid, I might be a little biased, but he's awesome. Uh, man, that kid's like a little monkey. He's everywhere. Uh, I hate saying this from a pulpit, but I swear he's like a cheetah on cocaine. Uh, Kid's 90 to nothing everywhere he goes. He gets that from his mama. Um, but we, we, uh, we got to really enjoy Christmas. He's a little bit older. This year's going to be funner as well. Um, but I didn't get to enjoy Christmas because I was up till about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning putting all the toys together. Because I decided that I was going to try to put the toys together without ever looking at the directions. How many, how many um, stubborn but yet humble, because we can admit it, dads are in here this morning, very humble and proud dads. Um, we, we like to just look at the box, and, you know, we're, we're men. We're like, we got this. I don't know if it's a pride thing. God's still trying to work that out in me. Um, but I always look at something, and I feel like I can put it together without ever having to actually read the directions. Um, until I actually put a wagon together, and it only has three wheels on it, and I can't find the fourth. Um, But all too often, we sometimes get that way in our life spiritually. A lot of times, God's given us every direction that we are going to need. God's given us the outcome. The Bible says we're more than conquerors. There is no battle that he loses. But yet, sometimes we walk in defeat because we steer clear of the instructions he has given us. So this morning, I want to talk to you about two types of people and i'm actually going to label it two types of christians or two types of believers. This morning i want to ask you which one are you? Everybody turn to your neighbor and say which one are you. So, i'm going to give you a little bit of background about second peter and where we're at. Second Peter deals with problems from inside. First Peter deals with problems on the outside, and Peter writes to warns the believers about false teachers who are peddling damaging doctrine. And so Peter's here in 2 Peter, and he begins to write about things that take place on the inside. Everybody say the inside. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to break it down to you verse by verse. We're going to bring in 2 uh, Peter chapter 1, verse number 1 through 11. And I know what you're thinking, that's a lot of scriptures, and yes, it is. No, but we'll get through it pretty quick. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse number 1, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained like precious faith. So I want to show you something real quick. This is the deciding factor. This is the line in the sand. He says, to those who have obtained. That indicates two different people. There are those who have obtained, and there are those who have yet to obtain. The like precious faith. So Peter's writing and it says to those who obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, Peter is speaking to those who have obtained. Everybody say I obtain. So he's preaching to those who are uh, who have obtained like precious faith. And you see, the word obtained means to get or to acquire or to learn or to develop. As a Christian, as a believer in God, growth is vital, right? We think of a baby when it grows up. We love them when they're babies, but we love them when they're older because they can fend for themselves, they can feed themselves, and they can use the restroom by themselves, right? We're still in the the diaper stage, and I love them to death, and I know I'm going to get In that stage in life, when he gets older, I'm going to miss him when he's younger, but I can't wait till he's old enough and I can stop wiping butts. Um, But as a Christian, as a believer, growth is vital. And a lot of times we acquire this growth by learning or developing. You see, this is one of my favorite things. We always... Uh, how many, and you may be these people, I'm not calling you out, I love you, but how many have God's scriptures or promises as decor in your house? I always love the people that are like peace, love, and pray, their hope and joy and happiness or, or you know, different, different scriptures or magnets on your refrigerator, but in every household I've ever been in and everything I've ever seen on Pinterest or social media or whatever, I've never seen God, this one promise that God promised us on someone's billboard. God promised us that we are gonna have trials and tribulations. That is a promise from God. Without growth, how can you expect to be more than a conqueror? You see, a lot of times, unfortunately, we we come and and God does something radical and, and through salvation and 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 we are on fire for God. I love baby Christians because yet they have yet to learn how to doubt God. Think about it. Think about a child. The child has yet to learn how to doubt. All he knows is that he can go to mom and dad and ask for anything and they know that they supply it. They don't know that mom and dad have to work jobs to put food on the table to pay the electric bill. They don't know the functions of society in order to put those food on the table or the toys in the toy box or whatever it may be. You see, and that's sometimes the same place, and that's why I love baby Christians. They've yet to learn how to doubt. They will always come to the Father. I can't tell you how many times I've seen radical Christians and whether I believe with with their tactics or not. I mean, there's people you know, going out to the streets and, and they're proclaiming Jesus um, to the drug addicts or to the lady at Waffle House or what have you, and they don't care who knows it. But then there's also the other side who's been saved for 30 years, and all they ever do is sit on a pew. Well, what if the lady at the Waffle House don't want to hear about God? Well, what if, what if society... Calls me out. What if this person calls me out? What if it's an atheist? What if they know more than me? You see, somewhere along the lines, we began to doubt. Doubts crept in. Doubt is a faith killer. Doubt is the opposite of faith. And you see, this is where Peter is, and he's talking. He's talking to him, and he's telling him, he says, I'm I'm talking to those who obtained like precious faith with us by righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. You see sometimes we got to develop these things. Through these promises and through these trials and tribulations, you actually begin to know more about faith and you actually begin to understand more about God. How many of y'all have been in one of the hardest places in your life and you've seen the hand of God like never before? You see God's faithful time and time again, but yet sometimes we lose that vision because we, we, we remember those times and we're thankful for those times, yet our lifestyle or maybe even our choices doesn't line up with where we used to be and, and when we were begging and when we were hungry and we were in the depths of that pit, when we were depressed or when we were angry or when we were struggling financially and God brought breakthrough. You see, you should still seek God the same way you do when you're in the bottom of a pit. The same way, the same effort when you're on top of the mountain. But it's in those valleys, it's in those depths where you actually begin to grow and understand who God is. The Bible says faith without works is dead. You see, when your faith is working, you're understanding who God is. You understand that His promises, and it's not on your own accord. Way too many times we're like those dads or me. We think that just because we see the bigger picture, we can skip a couple a couple steps. Ah, uh, you know what? There are directions, but I I can figure it out. And a lot of times we come to God that same way. We may have a call of God on our life. We may possess an anointing that no one else possesses, and we may get a bigger picture, or we may have a prayer answered. And sometimes it's like, thank you, God, and then you push him out of the way. I got this. You gave me the picture. I can figure it out. But all too often, in our pushing or in our pride, arrogance, however you want to write it up, whatever word you want to put in there, we begin to push God out of it and say, you know what, God, I got it. Then... If you have it, I did an illustrated message the other day, and it cost me a lot of money, especially with teenagers. But if if I had a $100 bill right now, and I was holding it in front of your face, and I said, all you got to do is walk up here and get it. That's simple. It's a simple task. All you have to do is get up, get out, and get it. Right? You don't need faith in that. I've already given you a promise that when you get here, you'll obtain it. There's no faith needed. But a lot of times God will give us the promises and then there's a process. And we began to steer clear of God in that process because we'll go a little bit and then we'll go into a valley and we can no longer see the mountaintops. We're no longer at a point of view to where we can see where God's taken us. We began to get discouraged. We began to doubt. We began to lean on other people. Well, I wonder what my friend Helen, if there's anybody named Helen, my bad. I wonder what her advice is. Helen's divorced nine times, owns 13 cats. But you know what? We're still going to get her her advice. Again, if your name's Helen, my apologies. But we're going to get Helen's advice. She's been down this road. Well, why are we going to go to the advice of someone like Helen when she's still in that road? You see, we run to the world and try to get the world's advice, but the world can't take their own advice. We live in a day in society, they can't tell you what a man or a woman is. Yet we're going to run to the world's systems. We're going to try what the world has to offer. Do you know what the definition, I go over this with my teenagers all the time. Do you know what the definition of insanity is? To do the same thing over every single time, but yet every single time you expect a different outcome. But every time you put your faith into the world, you get the same outcome. It may last a little bit longer. It may be a shorter ride. But eventually, you're going to hit a dead end. The road may be a little bit longer. The journey may take a little bit longer. But yet, it still bears the same results. You see, Peter's talking about two different types of people. Those who obtained the faith and then those who have yet to obtain the faith. In verse number two, it says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. You see, many people, believers, want abundance of God's grace and peace, but they're unwilling to put forth the individual effort. There has to be effort. Right? I'm learning real quick that I can't tell my son no just once. He's still going to do it. I wish it was easy, and especially in the potty uh, potty training stage. I wish it was easy just to be like, look, dude, you got to be a big boy. All right, here's the toilet. This is how you do it. But it takes effort. Sometimes it takes more than once. And a lot of times that's where our discouragement takes precedence in our life. Is because we may strike out once and then we're done. We give up on God. But yet, time and time again, we still got to continue to go to bat. You see, it seems like the only effort Christianity is putting forth is a team effort. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible talks about us being the body of Christ, not the head of Christ, not the preacher of Christ, not the church of Christ. We still love them. It just fit. I just went with it. But the body of Christ, you, me, it's not a preacher. It's not a singer. It's not the teachers teaching the kids. It's not just on them. But yet today in society, that's where the church is. We ride the coattail of just a few and expect to affect the many. And they do have a purpose as a shepherd, as a preacher, as the Godhead of the establishment. They do have a purpose, but yet it takes the body of Christ. You see, I was a, I was a gnarly teenager and even a kid, and I've had over, I, I'm, I'm in the teens of broken bones. I think 13, 14 broken bones, all the way from my femur to my tibia to both bones in my wrist, my collarbones. Um, Bubble Boy should have been probably written about me, but anyways, I've... Gnarly, countless stitches and crazy things, all right? I, I grew up um, a redneck. I lived in Anahuac, Texas. Anybody know where that's at? Wow. More people in here than in Baytown know where Anahuac is. Anahuac's a small town. And listen, um, I, I, and it sounds terrible when I say it this way, and I always tell myself I'm going to figure out a different way. But how many of y'all have friends that have stories be like, man, this one time when I was drunk, I didn't ever have the privilege to say that. We were just dumb enough to do it because we were bored enough. But, look, I'm off in left field. I don't even know where I was going with that. But I have had some gnarly stories. Been thrown from a lot of horses. Been crazy things. I don't even know where we are at. But <laughs> there has to be effort. I'm really lost now. I don't even know where I was going with that. Yeah, I know. It's not about the age; it's about the miles. I've been a lot of miles, but but the thing is, it, it, it's effort, and so that's where I was going with it. No matter how many times you get bucked off, you still have to get back up, dust off, and get back on the horse. <laughs> I remember one time I made a, a gnarly trip um, to Oklahoma to go get some alfalfa hay. Me and my brother, we left at four in the morning. And we made a 24-hour round trip and got back at 4.30 that next morning. And then my dad calls me that morning and says, hey, it's time to unload all this alfalfa. So I'm sleep-deprived. I'm running on Monster and Pop-Tarts. And um, we start chunking hay, and we got, like, an old-school conveyor belt. Um, This thing's scary just to look at, let let alone, like, hear it running. And, And so every once in a while, you're throwing alfalfa, and it's... And it's bumping around, and the chain gets knocked off. And uh, when you're at the bottom, it's easy to kind of just reset the chain real quick and then keep going. When you're at the top, it's a whole different story. Um, Ask me how I know. Uh, It's because I actually ripped the end of this finger off. Um, Gnarly story. And um, anyways, long story short, I come to my dad, and I said, Dad, I ripped my finger off super high pain tolerance. I kid you not, I said it the exact same way I just told you. I said, Dad, I ripped my finger off. He said, "That gummit boy, I said, I needed you to do well today. Go get your mom. She'll take you to the ER. <laughs> so you see, look, I had to grow up tough, you know, getting bucked off and staying down was never an option. But that should never be your option in life as well. When the world comes knocking you down, you don't need to stay down because my God says I am more than a conqueror. My God says I can live in all the promises, not just a few. Jesus goes on and teaches them that everything that Jesus did here upon this earth, that you still have that ability to do it, yet even greater. Let me ask you this. Why are we living in a society that we're not seeing healing and breakthroughs and the lame being uh, healed and the blind being able to see and, and the deaf being able to hear? Why are we seeing gnarly miracles like the, uh, the dead being raised? It's because we've lived or we are living in a society that it's easy to put on a front of Christianity and go to church and clap our hands and praise God and then to go back into the world. You see, this is where Peter begins to switch things over. He says, I'm talking to those who obtain the, the like precious faith. See, anybody can go to church. Anybody can stand in a pulpit within reason. But Matthew talks about it. Not everybody is going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Matthew chapter 7 talks about it and says, even on that day, I will hear, Lord, Lord, we've cast out demons in your name. We've we've done miracles in your name, and yet even on that day, you'll hear, depart from me, for I never knew you. You see, church is full of people who know God, but yet it's full of people who God never knew. You see, I talk to teenagers all the time. Teenagers are the main ones. They'll put on a good front for you, and I tell them all the time, you don't have to fool me. I'm not gullible, but I don't need to be fooled. I don't need to believe you're saved. The only person you're fooling is yourself. The only person you're cutting short is yourself. Now, I love them to death, and I tell them all the time out of love that I'll punch you in the face and get you back on track. I'll never harm a teenager unless I have to. But you see, we ride the coattails of the few, and we expect the pastor to come up with the next greatest idea to fill the seats. When we go back out into our inner circle every Monday, when we go back out into our job force and we are surrounded by unbelievers, we expect Pastor John to go with you and preach the gospel in your workplace or in your schools or in college or into your family members. We all got in-laws. Let me be careful. I'm blessed. Look, Tina's giving me the side eye. I love my in-laws. You see, but Pastor John and and, and the Kids Church pastors, they have a purpose, and they play a huge role. But when is the body of Christ going to stand up and put forth individual effort? The same way, I told you, we make up the body of Christ. If my toe is missing or if my leg is missing, my body is going to know. If I got a broken bone, my body is going to know, and it is not going to function to the full potential that it was created to, correct? Correct. So why do we leave the head of the household? Why do we leave not the head of the household, but the head of the church to be the only one functioning when we make up the body of Christ? Look, don't shout me down yet. I ain't even started preaching. You see, everyone set before you is not perfect. I'm not. Pastors will fail you. I love Pastor John, but one day he may fail you. Not in the sense that you may be thinking, but pastors leave every day. They're called to different places. Worship leaders leave every day. Your your kids' pastors will leave one day. Maybe not. I don't know. But what I'm saying is no one is perfect. Children grow up. Parents stop coming to church. So why do we come to the Father expecting a fast pass to the front line? You see, there's no shortcuts. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. You see, all too often we may get bucked off or we may find ourselves in a pit or we may find ourselves in a valley and we give up. It is easier to go this direction. It's easier to go With the world, because broad is the gate, and broad is the way, but it leads to destruction. It's an easier path, absolutely. But then, it says, narrow, enter by the narrow gate. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. There are few who find it. You see, it's talking about two types of people. Everyone searches, but few who find it. Then we jump down into verse number three, and it says, and his divine power has given to us all things. How many things? How many things? How many things? I'm going to say it until you get it. How many things? His divine power. Whose power? Whose power? It's not yours. It's not your ideas. It's not your own will. It's his power. His divine power has given us all things. All things that pertain to life and godliness. And through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises what are his promises great but yet exceedingly exceedingly great promises and their precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust you see he's our supplier But no matter what you're supplied, it doesn't take effect until it's applied. Does that make sense? I may supply you with something, but until you apply it, it will take no effect. You see, without application, you have a tool with no purpose. How many of y'all like to hunt in here? Any vegans in here? I apologize. But I want you to imagine, just like a bow and an arrow, I, I, I preach this in a youth uh, group, and, and you can definitely tell the ones who are listening, because every time I would change directions, everybody start moving, they thought I was going to shoot them with a bow and arrow. But bows and arrows don't shoot themselves regardless of what uh, Washington says. Um, thank you, a few people got that one. But just like a bow without an arrow, you have a tool without a purpose. It's still a bow. An arrow is still an arrow. But what it was designed to do, it was designed to be used to hit its mark. But a a bow on a shelf, an arrow on a shelf, or whatever, wherever, it is rendered unuseful until there is an applicator applying the pressure it needs. Does that make sense? This is why God allows pressure in your life. Because where there is pressure, there is pursuit. Y'all, y'all ever watch National Geographic? Nat Geo? Man, I love watching that. Y'all ever seen a lion chase like a gazelle? Look, you're like, man, this preacher's weird. But where there's pursuit, there's pressure. And where there's pressure, there's movement. Right? I've never seen a gazelle be like, oh, a lion came over. And just chill. Regardless if it was wounded, regardless if it was hurt, regardless if it knew the lion was there, or surprised, the pressure brought pursuit. You see, you add an arrow, and now you give it both a purpose and a meaning. Without God, you're a tool without purpose. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible says, faith without works is dead. Think of it naturally. You didn't get to where you are in life in a single day. It took months. It took years. It took school. It, it took whatever it took to get you in the place in life you're at. You didn't just walk up to your significant other and say, hey, you're cute. Let's get married. Let's do the thing. Well, the young people are like, what's the thing? Don't worry about it. No, but it took Pursuit. It took getting to know someone. It took effort. How much effort? I, I, men, we've, we made ourselves look like fools, falling head over heels, buying flowers and going on dates and watching, like, romantic movies. And, and, I mean, anything without, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger is not a romantic movie. I need some guns in there. I need some Explosions. But we would do things in pursuit of the ones we love. We all say we love God. But does your pursuit match your mouth? Anyone can say we love God. Anybody can put a bio on social media. Anybody can have a Bible on a coffee table. Anybody can have a Hill Country Cowboy Church sticker on their vehicle. But does your pursuit in your personal life match what your mouth says? I love this quote by John Maxwell. It said, a lot of people want to do what I do, but don't want to do what I did. Think about it. A lot of people want to do what we do. A lot of people want to be preachers, a lot of people want to be teachers, a lot of people want to be bosses, a lot of people want to to be worship leaders, whatever may have you, whatever God placed on your heart, a lot of people want to do what we do, but they don't want to do what we did. You can't expect a $100 promotion with a $2 work ethic. You see, faith is spiritual growth working in preparation to make way for the supernatural. All too often, we come to God with a natural mindset. God, I have a sickness. I got a bad report. God, we're doing this. God, my family's in turmoil. God, my kids aren't listening. I don't know what it is. And and we come to God with a natural mindset expecting to move the supernatural. But you see, it's in those trials, it's in those tribulations, it's in your alone time, it's in your pursuit on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It's in your personal relationship that your relationship begins to grow, your faith begins to grow. You can't just come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and have Pastor John or whoever standing in the pulpit be your only source of who God is. Think of it naturally. What if you only ate in the times you were in church? Now I know I look like a cheeseburger. That's because I love cheeseburgers. I love to eat. Trust me. My wife told me just the other day, it's like we can't eat heavy anymore. It's like Tina, anytime I sit down, I eat heavy. There's no eating light. You give me a salad, I'm gonna put it in a horse trough. There's no there's no not eating heavy. I love food, love to eat. Why in the church the same way spiritually? You see, faith is spiritual growth, working in preparation to make way for the supernatural. You see, he's already given you everything you need through his promises to escape the corruption. Excuse me. And to even be able to hit your mark But you're still the one that has to put work into it to hit it. I picked a bow. I could have easily picked a gun or whatever and talk about that in the scenario, hitting your target, that kind of thing. But it takes work with a bow and arrow. You don't just pick it up and become Robin Hood. It takes work to hit your mark. It takes work to hit that bullseye. It takes work to hit the target set in front of you. Verse number five, it says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue and to virtue, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control and to self-control, perseverance and to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things (coughs) are yours and abound You'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's talking to us and he says, giving all diligence. The word diligence means careful and persistent work or effort. Persistent work or effort. I love to dictionary.com things. I love to go deeper. I want to know what the Greek and the Hebrew translation is. And sometimes I want to know what the English translation is. When I study, I love to go deeper. That word persistent means continuance in spite of difficult or opposition. So Peter is right here telling us, and he's talking about to those who obtained like precious faith. And then he says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. So giving all the continuance in spite of difficult or opposition. No matter how many times you get knocked down, get up. No matter how many times you get bucked off, get up. No matter how many times people tell you more about the Bible than what you know, begin to read more, begin to know more. Just because you get knocked down doesn't mean you have to stay where you're at. And it talks about persistent work and effort. And you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that word abound is a large amount. For if these things are yours and barren, abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. What in the world is Peter talking about? Blindness lacks these things and short sighted. It means that you can't see past your own reflection. You can't see past this giant set before you. You can't see past this problem. You see your problem bigger than you see God. You see, things are going to come knocking down. The Bible says the devil walks around roaring like a Roman lion, like a roaming lion, roaring lion. Never seen a Roman lion, but I've seen a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. You see, that's the devil's biggest flex is his roar. Think about it. I want to give you a, a, a story. I firmly believe, it's not written in the Bible, and this is where things get gray, but I firmly believe that anyone on that mountain when they faced the Philistines in the story of David and Goliath, anyone, the Bible clearly said, That it was Israel's army, the army of God. Anyone could have defeated Goliath. I firmly believe that. Anyone. But yet, Goliath came out there and he had attacked it. If he could just isolate one person, that isolation alone put fear into an entire army of God. That's the same tactic. The devil tries to isolate you, tries to get you in your feelings, tries to get you in your anger, tries to get you in your depression, tries to get you in the moment. If he could just isolate you away from God, he's already defeated you without ever having a battle. That's why it took a shepherd boy with a lot of faith. It wasn't a warrior, yet he was blessed to be a warrior. It wasn't a warrior that defeated Goliath. It was a believer. He believed the word. He believed God would bring him through it. Later on in life, he became King David and began to kill people. And and they would sing songs about King David and King Saul, that that Saul's killed his thousands and David's killed his ten thousands. It wasn't in that moment. It was a believer that defeated Goliath. But that's exactly the devil's tactic, is I've never seen, watching National Geographic, I've never seen a lion... Announces presence to its prey. Because if it announces its presence to its prey, it's lost its meal. Right? They lie in wait. They lie in the grass. They stalk these things. You see, the battle is here. That's why there is countless and numerous scriptures talking about renewing the mind. And so it goes on and he gives us seven different things. He gives, add to your faith virtue. Virtue means high moral standards. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. That godliness means a reverence or respect of God. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. And if you abound in these, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it takes effort. It takes time. It takes pursuit. And in verse number 10, it says, therefore, brethren, everybody say, that's me. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. You'll do what? (laughs) You'll do what? Why do you stumble? Well, what is... Does your actions match what your mouth's saying? Why do we fall? Why do we fall short? Well, Peter just give, gave us a checkoff list. Am I giving all diligence and virtue? Am I adding knowledge? Am I letting my knowledge produce self-control? Am I, Is my self-control producing perseverance? Is my perseverance... Producing godliness and reverence and respect to God? Is is my godliness producing brotherly kindness? And is my brotherly kindness producing love? He literally gives us a checklist. And he says if you do all these things and if you abound in all these things, you'll never stumble. To be even more diligent, just as a seed. Think about it as a farmer. Look, I'm about to wrap up. Pastor John said just make sure I'm out by one. We're good. We got an hour and a half. (laughs) Just like a seed, just like a farmer, it takes preparation. I've never seen a farmer. We're down there where they they grow a lot of rice and wheat and all kinds of other barley and hay and all that kind of stuff. But I've never seen a farmer go into the woods where there's thicket and there's all kinds of stuff and where the, the ground has yet to be plowed. I've never seen him go in there and just start scattering seed aimlessly. It was preparation. It took time to clear the land, to till the land, to prepare the ground to receive the seed, correct? You see, it's in your preparation. You see, there's hard work going into preparing the ground. You see, too often we go straight for the I want and back bypass the I need. Well, I want to harvest, but what you need to do is prune your heart. Think about it. I, I want a blessing, but yet I don't want to read my Bible. I need to read my Bible. I, I need to get more involved in church. I, I, I need to understand God's promises a little bit more. But it's easier just to pray to God. I, I call it the right now society. We live in an awesome society that produces things right now. We got curbside pickup for groceries. You don't even got to go in the grocery store anymore. Look, I don't. Look, I, I don't understand it, but it's, it's cool. It is what it is. One time my wife's like, hey, can you stop by Target? We got to get a grocery pickup or, or a curbside pickup. I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. It was like lipstick. It was like you couldn't walk in for 10 seconds, and it's, normally it's at the checkout counter. No, no, it's just easier to, to curbside it. All right, cool. <laughs> we, we go to Starbucks. We, we, we go to Chick-fil-A. We go to all these other places, and... And, and we, we give them our, our order menu, and God forbid they undercut us some, some Chick-fil-A sauce. God forbid if Chick-fil-A takes more than five minutes. I promise you, if Chick-fil-A, if their CEO would run the country, we'd be in a lot better place. But but I get people in and out. Man, it's cool what they do. But anyways, we, we, we go straight for the I wants, and we bypass the I need. I want to worship deeper, and that's great. But what you need is to grow in your personal worship. Some of you worship Netflix more than your God. Some of you want a better prayer life. But what you need is to learn to bridle your tongue and quit gossiping. Some of you want to grow as a Christian, But what you need is actually to show up to church. Obviously, that's none of y'all, right? You see, stop blaming the world in fault of your laziness. That's one of the easiest things to do as a Christian. We'll blame the world for our own laziness. Philippians 4.19 says, but my my God shall supply what? All your needs, right? All your what? all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Your wants are limitless and also achievable when you walk and grow in the will of the Father. You see, growth isn't just somehow obtained. Just like what we were talking with the farmer. The farmer doesn't just buy the seed and then put it on a shelf, and expect a hundredfold harvest. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes uh, uh, to to plant it, and and it takes to water it. That's the same way spiritually. God planted the seed, and God's word is a seed into your life, but what you got to do is sometimes you got to prune out your heart. Maybe I shouldn't be watching this. Maybe I shouldn't be listening to this. Maybe I need to separate from a few of my friends who don't understand what faith is. Who doesn't understand the promises that God has in store for me? There's nothing worse than a Debbie Downer. And here's the deal. They don't need to understand your calling in order for you to achieve it. Joseph's own family is the one who plotted to kill him, sold him into slavery. They didn't understand the calling of God that was placed on Joseph's life. It's okay if they don't understand. You just have to remain faithful. You have to put in the work. You see, all these things are limitless and achievable when you grow in the will of the Father. It's vital. Everybody say it's vital. I would even go a next step to say it's even life or death. That's how serious it is, whether it be physically or spiritually. You see, it could be the difference between you standing on the sidelines or you slaying a giant. It could be the very difference in you conforming to this world or standing victoriously in the furnace. See, that's one of my favorite passages is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Teenagers. Changing an entire nation. You see, a lot of times we believe and we come to God and and we pray in our prayers. God, keep me from that. Keep me from this. Keep me from debt, Keep me from trials and tribulations. Keep me, keep me, keep me from it all. God never promised he was going to keep you from it all, but he did promise he'll keep you through it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are a perfect example. He didn't keep them from the furnace. In fact, they even went before the king and said, King, whether God delivers me today or not, I will not bow to your golden idol. We need to have a going to the furnace mentality. Doesn't matter if I'm going to get burned from this or not, but for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Doesn't matter what society says, it doesn't matter who's knocking on my door, it doesn't matter what political party, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He didn't keep them from it. He kept them through it. You see, the process is perfected in the secret place, and it is fine-tuned through the church. So you can walk victoriously through life more than a conqueror. Just like it said in verse number 10. Be even more diligent to make your calling and elections sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. You'll do what? Never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Turn with me to First Peter. Should just be like one page or two pages over. First Peter chapter five. I'll go to this in my first closing. I got nine. That's a joke. I promise you we're going to go eat here pretty soon. You can tell I don't skip lunch. All right. I don't skip any meal. But anyways. First Peter chapter five. Verse number six. It says, therefore, humble yourselves. What do you do? What do you do? Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he may exalt you. And when? Due time. When? And when? In due time. Not your time. In due time. We talked about it this morning in worship. In due time, not your time. God is an on-time God. He is neither late nor early, no matter how many times we wish he was early. He's right on time. I really wish he was early. Make life so much easier. But if he was... Would you really need faith? Another one of my favorite stories was Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Do you know why he waited? I said, Lazarus, your best friend's dying dead. If you would have just been there, he wouldn't have died. I like to think that Jesus was like, oh, man, you're right. But then he just like popped back in the recliner and popped Coke and like just chilled three more days. You know, in that day in society, the pagans believed that your spirit would roam the earth for three days. And scientifically, on the third day, your body actually begins to decay. It talks about it. There was a stench from Lazarus' tomb. Scientifically, you are dead after three days. Your body literally begins to decay. That's why Jesus waited four days. If he would have went back, the pagans could have been like, well, you know, his spirit just found his body again. He was just sleeping, whatever. But scientifically, people always want to discuss science, science in the Bible, science in part of the Bible. Listen, I did a whole sermon series on a thing, did you know? On scientific foundings based out of the Bible. Super gnarly. I'll have to come back and preach it for you. But he waited four days because there was not any doubt whether it be believers, unbelievers, pagans. Atheist, whatever you may be, whatever you wanted to throw out. And when Lazarus raised from the dead, it said everybody awed at the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not on your time frame. No matter how hard we pray, no matter how bad we need it, no matter how bad we want it, it is in due time. That's why it is so important to grow your faith because your faith enables you to stand in that due time. That's why I love the promise that there will be trials and there will be tribulations. Never heard a preacher say that from a pulpit, but I do love it. Because in those trials, in those tribulations, there is growth. You see, this is why we build our faith. It says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he may exalt you. And when? In due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, not a Roman, but a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. What should you do? Resist him. Steadfast in the face. There, there's, there's a comma. It says resist him, and then it, Peter gives you how. Resist him. How do you resist him? Steadfast in your faith. How do you stand steadfast? It's by time. It's over time. It's time and time again standing steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You see, the messages might not always hit home in the current season that you're in. That's why I love church. I can't tell you how many times I've heard it, especially in teenagers, especially in big church, especially with grown-ups. Well, that was a great message, but it just wasn't for me. Lies. It's always for you. What you didn't do is you didn't receive. Only a baby can't feed itself. You see, what the church is for and what the shepherd is for and the messages that are presented is for you to add another arrow to your quiver. So you can stand steadfast. You see, it's an arrow to add to your quiver. You see, the Bible says to be ready in season and out of season doesn't matter. And let me be the first to tell you, or maybe Pastor John already has, God doesn't move upon your feelings. If he did, he would have raised Lazarus the exact same day that he came. But it's the faith that moves the hand of God. Think about it. What about the the woman with the issue of blood? Right? She said, if I could just touch his cloak, I'll be made well. Jesus said, somebody touched me. They're in a big old group. It's like, the disciples like, "Bro, everybody's touching you, everybody's coming around and I'm 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 getting ready to punch people in the face." That's what I would say if I was a disciple and surrounded that would be like a mosh pit in there or something. But anyways, are like, "Everyone's touching you." He said, "No, no, no." Someone touched me. And then he picks her up, and says, "Woman, go, be healed. Your faith has made you well." Not your wants, not your needs. Not your crying. He hears those things, but it's your faith. Your faith has made you well. See, the Bible says, "Be ready in season and out of season." I believe we are headed into a new season. If you don't believe me, just turn on any media outlet, just turn on any social media, pick up any newspaper. We're heading into a new season, and you want to know something? I absolutely cannot wait. I'm super excited. I think a lot of times the church forgets the Bible says that there will be a separation from the wheat and the tare. We think about that, right? There will be a separation between good and evil, but you can't pick the tare without damaging the wheat. So the wheat and the tare grow together. As things are getting more evil, as things are getting more gnarly, God has become gooder and gooder. (laughs) I never said I was a teacher or even a good speaker. But his goodness is growing every single day. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a new season coming. Are you ready? We're actually in it. It's never too late to start. It's only too late if you don't do it. But preparations have to be made. I love it. Again, it sounds terrible. Y'all going to question everything I say today, and I'm glad you do. I love it when things look like it's getting more and more evil. Because all it is doing is giving God a bigger and bigger platform to show him his love, his grace, and his mercy. The Bible says we are a chosen generation created for a time such as this, my question to you is: Are you going to hear "Well done, good and faithful servant"? Or are you going to hear "Depart from me, for I never knew you"? Everybody on your feet! I want to give an altar call. Look at that! Just before one o'clock, too. We're good. He's given you everything you need. He's planted you here for a reason. At Hill Country Cowboy Church, he's planted you here for a reason. Are you willing to use that reason to grow? What does your life say about your faith? That's why I love trials and tribulations. I know it sounds gnarly to say it, but I do. I love trials and tribulations. Because with the trial, with the tribulation, with every test that the world can throw, there's a testimony out of it. As long as your faith remains in who God says he is and over every promise, you have all that you need. You will not stumble. It doesn't matter. Who's holding presidency? It doesn't matter what society is going. It doesn't matter. You're not in the whole world system. We don't sit there and think with a natural mindset. We think, we, we, we think and we move in the supernatural. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit as a guide. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you this morning. What does your life say about your faith? Anybody can say, I know who God is. Anybody can say, I know who who Jesus is. I know what he did. And atheists can quote scripture to you. It's one thing to know the Bible. It's another thing to know the author. What do you know? If you're in here this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. Now, hear me out. I may be the first person to ever tell you this. The Bible talks about that it's better to not give your word than to give your word and then to go back on it. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to live in freedom, you, you, you want to live under the promises and the protection, and the hedge of grace and mercy that God provides. If that's you in here this morning, say, preacher, that's me. And here's my deal. I'm not talking about reciting a religious prayer. I'm talking about a true heart change. The Bible says to confess with my mouth and to believe in my heart, and then there's a transformation that takes place. That's why I ask you, what does your life say about your faith? Because when you have a true transformation, your your life will change drastically. How you speak, how you talk, how you react, your character should all match up to what God's word says. So I'm not talking about if you've been in here and you've recited a religious prayer. I'm talking about having a true God encounter. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to today, if you don't mind, just raise your hand. Thank you. Another cool thing, <clears throat> Jesus is teaching about the prodigal son, and it's a replica, uh, representation of heaven. The father is always looking for the prodigal son. The Bible says all of heaven stops and rejoices when one sinner comes home. They threw a feast when the son came home. There's no shame. There's no guilt. Matter of fact, these are the people you want on your side. Second thing is this. We talked about two types of people, two types of believers. Maybe you're the one that let pride get in the way, and maybe you didn't even know it was pride until today. But if you're in here today and you say, preacher, I need to change that. I I need to grow in real faith and real knowledge. I I need to step into brotherly love and kindness. I need to step into these things. If that's you in here today and you say, preacher, that's me. I, I, I need to step in to real faith. You're tired of the same old, same old. You're tired of living a life of insanity. If you're in here today and you say, preacher, I need to rededicate my life. I need to get back on track. If you don't mind, just raise your hand. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being honest with yourself. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to uh, repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to take my place on an old rugged cross. This morning, I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. Today, I'm not a worldly type of Christian, but I am a blood-bought child of the one true king. God, help me stand firm in my faith and on your promises so that in due time, I can walk victoriously as more than a conqueror. God, thank you for my faith being restored. God, help me walk in obedience. Help me giving all diligence to grow in knowledge, to grow in self-control, to persevere, to respect, and to revere in all godliness, and to walk every single day in kindness and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 Guys, thank you so much. Um, y'all are truly an awesome church. I don't know if y'all know how much y'all truly do. Um, Pastor John and, and Miss Brenda, they're, they're awesome people and um, they love you so much. They love the community. Um, one thing that we do at our church is we do Operation BAM, and it stands for Be a Miracle. Um, um, Mr. Austin and, and his wife, Miss Holly, they, they got a chance to come down there and see it. It's super gnarly. We have a huge crawfish bowl and auction. We bowl like thirty-two hundred pounds of crawfish and have a huge auction. I mean, everything gets sold from cars and Harley. Anybody doesn't matter. Super awesome, but I want you to know that you actually have a hand in what we do with Operation BAM, and it stands for Be a Miracle, and it actually allows us to do multiple things across the board throughout the year. Um, One of the coolest things that I get to do with all hands on deck, and I love it, is um, we respond to natural disasters, Um, so the tornadoes a few years back in Tennessee and Obviously, you know, we live in Hurricane Central, down where I'm from, and hurricanes in Louisiana and all over Texas and um, tornado. I mean, we literally, we have a 40-foot car hauler without hesitation. We raid Sam's within the hour of knowing. Fill this thing up with like fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 of supplies, and we go and actually literally be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. You actually, as a church, have a hand in that, and it's so awesome, and that's just a small portion. We do um, what we call the holy cow tree, and I think it's hilarious. But all too often, people donate like canned goods to drives and shelters and that kind of stuff, and that's phenomenal. But the holy cow trees, uh, we're blessed to be um, super redneck down there in southeast Texas. But we have a lot of cattle farmers and ranchers and even people who just love to hunt that donate Tons and tons of meat, and especially in these natural disasters. You know, ravioli is good, but, I mean, some meat is even better. And so we actually bless people all across the board. We buy Christmas. Um, this, is, this is literally all across the board. We, we buy Christmas. Um, I think last year we supported 22 families of wounded warriors. Um, we buy their Christmas every year. Um, we, we picked different people. We've actually gone into battered, battered women's shelters in Houston and bought Christmas for them, provided them with new beds, blankets, toys for their kids. Um, and I, I don't know how often Pastor John talks about it, but this is what the body of Christ is all about. And it takes every single one of you. And so on behalf of Pastor Mark and, and Hillside Church, we want to say thank you. We love you guys. This place has a special place in our heart. Um, thank y'all so much for listening to me and laughing at my jokes, even if they weren't funny. But guys, I love you. Thank you so much. Y'all have a blessed day and a blessed week.